Hello, everyone. I am Andy Grant. Welcome to another episode of Real Men Feel. With me, as always, Apio Hunter, to my left hey. or right or up or down, depending on what your screen. <laughs> you yeah, today, you're actually to my to my right, funny enough. So, no, I'm doing great. I was actually going to go outside, but then a thunderstorm rolled in at last second, so I had to scramble and move to my office instead. Cool. Yeah. So, Real Men Feel is... Uh, part of a movement, um, creating a space where men are allowed and encouraged to share how they feel. Um, it's a pretty simplistic, obvious name. We have a Facebook group, we have a website, and we have this weekly program, which is live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Uh, this week, our guest is author and coach, relationship coach, to be specific, Jeff Lofton. How are you today, Jeff? I'm great. Now that we got the technical working, I'm glad to be here. Oh, so you wouldn't have been glad if it wasn't working? <laughs> <laughs> I would be glad you've been here, but why watch a pantomime when you can actually have real dialogue? conversation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. That's awesome. So, so this week we wanted to explore, uh, based on your book and your work, Jeff, the and and the notion of relationships and some relationship stereotypes. So, so, so why don't we just jump right in? And what, you want to share some of the the most common stereotypes around relationships that you come across in your work? Yeah. Well. And to be, just to make sure I'm understanding what you're asking, are you wanting, I mean, there are plenty of relationship stereotypes overall, but are you wanting to have me talk about that? Or would you like to talk about what I believe are male relationship stereotypes, either that we carry as men or that people carry about us as men? Hmm. Yeah, so let's let's focus on let's focus start we start with the men. Okay. And let's and we'll yeah, you can decide. Right. Yeah. What we think or what you think others think about what we think. <laughs> well, <laughs> um that just brings up one of the I think one of the biggest stereotypes that plague our reputation as men in relationships is that we're mind readers. And one of the things I, I, I kind of came up with this acronym that is such a useful thing. You're trying to sort out conflict in a relationship. And, and it kind of speaks to stereotypes overall. And that is MSU, making shit up. <laughs> We're good at that. <laughs> We're, we all have PhDs in that. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so one of the, I think how that answers your question, Andy, is that one of the biggest sources of conflict I've seen over the 20 some odd years I've been working with couples is the stereotype that women think that we should know what they want, what they need, what they're feeling. And the degree to which, because we're not quite wired up that way, then we can go into a lot of doubt and beginning to question whether we should be able to know. And that's where making shit up comes in handy. And it's twin brother, M-U-S, made up shit. <laughs> and we're often, uh, is it okay to swear on this? It's made Absolutely. Oh, uh, yeah, it is. Um so I think that one of the, that's a huge stereotype that we should know that we're and we all know. And so, then if we don't, that means that we don't care. Uh, so the stereotype exists and then men 
can contribute to it by making shit up or making use of made up shit. Right. Um, and that just keeps it going on, on both ends, really. Yeah, exactly. And then what that can lead to, I think, is a stereotype that the very name of this show is really about, which is that we're, we're not feelers. And we're deep feelers in my experience. I mean, there are definitely men that are checked out from their heart, but I maintain, as do a lot of other people, that that's not because we have no heart. It's not because we don't feel. It just got too damn dangerous to feel. Yeah. And we got You've had several conversations about that. For sure. So, you know, one of the, in fact, I think the first or second sentence in my book, it says, it, you know, this is something I was taught about 23 years ago. It said, real men, or no, pardon me, real women are powerful people pretending to be hopeless romantics, and men are hopeless romantics pretending to be powerful people. Yeah. That's so true. That is so that true. Yeah. I love that quote. I, yeah. I absolutely love that. Um, you totally nailed it with that. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had thought of it, but I've never forgotten it. So <laughs> it, I think the thing is, is that when you start from a baseline assumption that every human being feels and that that's the natural order of things, then the stereotype and conditioning that I think a lot of us as men went through that supports that stereotype, that has to begin to be undone, which, you know, I'm so, another reason I'm thrilled to be here is because you guys are talking about that and not enough people are talking about, you know, well, what's the cost of not feeling? And it's enormous, particularly in relationships. Because whether you're with a man or you're with a woman, um, I mean, gay or straight relationship, the the need to be heard and the need to have your feelings gotten by your partner, that's genderless. Great. We have all absolute baggage. So that's a biggie. And uh, I would say another stereotype is that if you're a real man, that all you've got to do to have a happy relationship is to be able to figure your woman out and be able to fix her shit. <laughs> and there's a degree to which, given that I've worked with a ton of women in my career, women have a certain stereotype in my experience going about that too, that we don't get them or we don't care about getting them. And I think part of that divide gets crossed by realizing that you know, the stereotype is actually accurate, that women don't need us to fix them. And we don't need women to be just right to be able to be with them and love them. Mm -hmm. And we take this place of whether you have a penis or not, the name of the game for successful relationship is that you're going to be 100% responsible for your behavior, your responses, and whatever's coming up between you and your partner, unless your partner, you know, greets you at the door with a frying pan upside the head, then they're pretty much 100% responsible for that. But otherwise, whatever we're struggling with, 
male or female, it's always about us. Right. So, yeah. If, yeah so either sex, if, if we deny feeling, if we lie about feelings, if we're not willing to feel them ourselves or, or own them, responsible for them, that's just going to create chaos in, in any relationship. <clears throat> yeah. And I think if you're in a relationship with a man who struggles to communicate, struggles to be connected to, you know, what I call the emotional body. Um, the thing that also can cause a lot of problems is that a lot of people are starved to know what their man's feeling. But when they don't get a level of shame that can be there that's keeping him quiet in the first place, whether it's gender shame, you know, through gender stereotype, or just how any given man was raised, then um, the last thing you want to do is shame your guy. Because that's not going to get him to open up. Right, it's going to be the opposite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah you quite literally the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, there was a there was a question in the chat uh, from Sarah to repeat the, the, what you were saying about the woman stereotype with you know, to be a real man and that particular piece of it. Would you mind repeating that again, just for for Sarah, my wife's name? Yeah. Sarah. Ah. Oh, great. Then it's for her as well. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's for all the Sarahs out there. She's been trying to figure me out for thirty four years, so I'm always happy to help. <laughs> clear that up a little bit. Um, <laughs> what I was saying, Sarah, is that there are stereotypes that each gender carries about the other. And I think that something I've heard from a lot of women is that if a man isn't being communicative, that that means he doesn't care or really going a little meta above that, it's that men don't feel. You know, that we're all a bunch of, you know, people that can only get emotional about football, sex, money, and career. And we're so much deeper than that. And yet, I'll speak for my generation and the ones who came before. I see signs of it getting better in younger generations. Mm -hmm. But a lot, you know, what I remember as a kid... I remember my mom asking me once, what do you want to be when you grow up? All of us can relate to that. And I said, I don't think I said, well, I want to be a fireman. No, you don't. Okay, well, I like to be a doctor. No, you don't. That's too much money. That's too, you know, being a fireman is too dangerous. Being a doctor, you're in school for so long. Then I became a teenager, and my mom started asking me, well, what do you want to do when you graduate from high school? I said, I want to be in theater. I want to be an actor and a director. No, you don't. You won't make any money doing that. Now, quite clear that that was also my mother's stuff, but I talked to a lot of men and have worked with a lot of men who they grew up with their mother having no deliberate intention to do so. But if you grow up with a mother who has her own struggles with feeling her emotional reality and managing that in a responsible way, then boys either can get smothered by their mother turning them into a surrogate spouse, or if their mother's really distant and remote, 
then we're, we kind of get trained indirectly to try and get that love and to get that um, security by being what we think as kids they want or need us to be. So then we get into grown-up relationships and our wives or partners in straight relationships anyway, they, they say, how come, I don't know how you feel. You don't share your feelings with me. And that man at some level grew up in a family system where it wasn't safe to share. So I'm saying women ought not to just automatically jump to the conclusion that if their man's not totally emotionally available or at all, it may not be because he doesn't feel. In fact, it's probably quite the opposite. So I, I hope that answered your question, Sarah. There's a big difference from not feeling and not knowing how to express those feelings. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, again, maybe my generation, I'm 58. I've never forgotten because I used to be able to cry really easily. And as a boy, very emotional, very sensitive. That hasn't changed. And so I can remember crying over something sad you know maybe it was a movie i was watching on tv or or i'd cry because my mom would get mad at me and so i'd cry and the sentence was along the lines of stop crying or i'll give you something to cry about mm -hmm. what the so fuck that one was that? right so there's and then my dad would say the same thing because he had a really tyrannical father who beat the emotion out of all three of his sons. So we're not well set up to really feel as safe as we could with not only our feelings and how we express them, but when we express them and how we can express them from that place of responsibility. You know, I something that you said earlier about becoming the surrogate husband for the mom is something that really resonated with me because that was very much an experience that I had when I was growing up. You know, my mom, my dad left us when I was, uh, well, he was always absent, but he permanently left us when I was just 15. Mm -hmm. And around that same time, I felt like, you know, it was my responsibility to step up to become the emotional support and everything else and it became a really interesting dynamic a very toxic dynamic to be honest yeah. um, which only recently within the past four or five years really we've been able to kind of untangle all of that stuff that had built up during those years of me stepping in and being the surrogate husband and son and everything else so I thought that was very fascinating that you, that you should bring that up because it's very much part of my own experience well, and, and so imagine what happens when you attract in a woman into romantic relationship and so much of that past way of being loved, of trying to be a loving son, involve that kind of codependent, inappropriate way of yeah. relating. Mm -hmm. So a lot of guys like that will tend to pull in partners that need them. They get to be that knight on the white horse. 
That was me between 17 <laughs> and 22, 23. Yeah. And then the other thing that can happen in that is when you're in that dynamic, ultimately you'll start resenting that. You don't want to be that. But if you've attracted a woman who thinks that she needs that and you start to pull back, all kinds of interesting dynamics are going to begin to show up mm-hmm. that, you know, will include, you know, you're not there for me. Right, right. Yeah, and it's interesting because my, my dynamic was even more more fun because not only did I have women who were interested in me who fit that that specific mold, but I myself was, you know, attracted to other men, and I was actually looking for men who fit the profile of what I felt was missing from my life as far as a role model. So I was looking almost like for a role model for a while. And it, it took a long time for me to finally sort that shit out. You know, I was making shit up and, and yeah, it, it, yeah, I, I will tell you, it was um, quite, quite the interesting life. And I was always very emotional. I've always been very sensitive to emotions and so forth, but same time, at the same time, trying to fit that mold that society had put us into. I'm only 10 years younger than you. And, um, for me, same thing. It, it's, there's not a huge gap as far as the societal expectations that were concerned. There was that, that uh, uh, you know, men don't feel, we don't express emotion. And then, of course, being gay on top of that just really, really just made things really, really um, toxic for a while. And I would imagine very confusing. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to say the least. And it, and you know, it gets, it really complicates things that when that kind of codependent, I mean, firstly, let me say, I think everybody's codependent. I think it's yeah. a matter of whether right. you're on the healthier <laughs> end of the spectrum or if you're on the really, really toxic side of it that makes right. the difference. So, so codependency doesn't, isn't just a negative term then? I, you know, I mean, there are probably a ton of therapists that would disagree with me, but I, I think we're all codependent. The desire, I think, or the, the healthiest place to get to in relationship is that you're interdependent. And to be interdependent, you have to be completely independent. But independent often with men, I find, that gets interpreted as I don't need anybody. I'm weak if I, if I need to ask for support. So I should be this strong person for my partner. And so vulnerability is a crucial element to any successful relationship. And when you kind of have that, you've, you've developed that identity that who I am as male and masculine energy is that caretaker, that surrogate spouse, for example, then who am I if I let that go? That makes things a bit complicated as well. So, yeah, the lack of identity, especially, is, is a huge, huge one for a lot. Not, not only was it for myself, but for a lot of the people that I've worked with as well. You know, that it's like they, they don't know who they are, they have no idea what their desires are. They're, yeah, like, like, again, going back to another example that you gave, it's like, oh, I want to do this. No, you don't. I want to yeah. do this. No, you don't. Yeah. It, it gets, 
the, the fear or the, their, the our parents' shit. <laughs> they just yeah, keep putting their shit on us, you know. Well, it is, you know, and and I don't know why, but that just made me. You're sharing that made me think too that a stereotype about relationship in general mm-hmm. that I have a big bone to pick is that. You know, to be happy, well, number one, that happiness is the main reason for being in relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think that has done more damage to more people than you can shake a hundred million sticks at. Because I don't believe that the point of relationship is to make you happy. It certainly is a great vehicle, kind of like a sandbox, for your happiness to be played with and discovered and uncovered and getting to interact with another person that you love. So I think that stereotype that you don't have a good relationship if you're not happy all the time, if you're not getting laid 10 times a day, you know, things like those stereotypes sell relationships short, whatever your gender and whatever your orientation is. Mm-hmm. It To me, relationship is a spiritual path regardless of what you know whatever your spiritual thing is relationship is going to take you there and it's all about growing and the happiness that comes as a result of it kind of gets to be a delightful booby prize yeah yeah i can't remember what book i got it from but i've always liked this that relationships are personal growth machines Right. And, and it's, it's easy to, to be in love and have that great relationship when everything's happy and at the beginning and everything's perfect, but that's not the point. The, yeah. the point is to navigate the, the downfalls and the dips and the challenges and, and choose to be codependent so that you're more resilient individually and together mm-hmm. to navigate all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And I look at, at, the, at the happiness as being the result, the cherry on the cake. The, right. the, the, it, it is what blossoms from it. You can go into a relationship already happy and see that happiness just explode and go you know, so much further. Because uh, if we understand it's ourselves and we're choosing to share our happiness with somebody else and then it commingles and it becomes part of the experience. And if we go our separate ways, we still are able to go our separate ways and still remain happy. And not you know it's not the cause or the source of our happiness. It is merely a part of the happiness. Yeah, I remember being taught a long time ago that, you know, one way you could look at relationship, and I think, by the way, this is true of any relationship. My closest, deepest friends, particularly some men in my life, um, I love them, you know, just about as much as I love my wife. There's just not a romantic thing there. But love is love. And I remember being taught a long time ago that, romantic relationship is the vehicle where you get to see the God in you through another person's eyes. Mm, I like that. (laughs) I like that. And that's definitely been, that's part of what had me fall in love with my wife. That's what still can put me into tears when she looks at me with that pure love that Mm. she still has for me all these decades later. And that, I mean, what's better than seeing your own divinity, getting to feel it, really? And relationship is one way to do that. And it's easier to get it 
when you're not saddling the relationship itself as the source of your well-being. Right. right. Yeah, not pointing to that other person saying, you make me happy, you make me better. It's all, you're, you're giving away your power and putting that responsibility for your own upkeep onto somebody else. Right. And that'll just drain that person and, and destroy hopes of a relationship. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You just made me think, you guys are awesome. You're making me think. So, <laughs> <laughs> what I just thought of, that's, you know, piggybacking off of what you were saying, Apio, is that um, another stereotype about relationship that I'm really a fan of busting up, much to my client's chagrin, is that um, relationship is supposed to feel the same way as mm. long as possible. <laughs> and that's just a one to bust up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and which is essentially another way of saying, "Don't ever," you know, it's like high school. Apio, you're a great guy. Stay that way. Yeah, that kind of thing of, okay, we're in love, we're happy, all the hormones are jiving, and our heart, we can't think of anything but each other, and we want it, we want it to feel like that, and I was talking with a man this morning, in fact, who was talking about leaving a relationship because it stopped being exciting, <laughs> and a lot of the excitement comes when you can get past that initial, you know, uh, mm -hmm. hormonal heroin rush that we all have when we're first in love so that we can get to actually know that person and grow with them. And so that stereotype of a great relationship is one that stays great all the time is another primrose path. It, yeah. <laughs> it, it does take a commitment to growth as a value and a willingness to see yourself and each other for how you really are rather than the idealized, you know, Hollywood stereotypes that we tend to unwittingly stick in our glasses and look around for the right person. Right. The, thing exactly. I, the thing I love to point out when people want the Hollywood ending and that romantic relationship like in the movies the average movie is 90 minutes to two hours long. And I, I think we all want relationships that last longer than that. So, the ideal isn't that ideal. Right. Yeah, right. The, there is no ideal other than what's ideal for you and your partner. Right. Yeah. And the excitement of a relationship is discovering what that is. Right. You know, if, yeah. If you can reframe that to be, if excitement is discovering the unknown, not staying in the state of that, that initial falling in love, that high that you already know, but to go beyond that, to have the bravery to go beyond that, that that's the power. I you know, that, it's interesting. It kind of goes to, to the core of what you and I have talked about before, Andy, which is us as human beings at, at by nature being explorers. I mean, look at our history, you know, our, our, our desire and our passion to, to go beyond what we already have, whether it's, you know, exploring new lands or going out into space or anything like that. We're always trying to explore. And perhaps one of the most incredible explorations that we can have, one of the most incredible discoveries that we can have is different aspects of ourselves, the infinite facets 
that, that, that exist within ourselves. So that is, to me, one of the most amazing journeys that we can take, for sure. Yeah. And, and relationships just give us partners in exploration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and that makes me think of a stereotype. It, it goes back to that conditioning, but a way that we stereotype ourselves as men can be, you know, that whole thing about vulnerability is a sign of weakness or, pardon my French, ladies and gentlemen, you're a pussy if you admit that you're hurting or that you're lost and adrift. And it's actually part of that is speaking to what you guys were just saying, which is if we as people, but I think men have long had a, a, a distinct relationship to that sense of adventure and exploration. And, mm. and I talked about it a lot in my men's groups about how we have to have an edge. Men relate to edginess in one way. Women need an edge. You know, humans need edge. So it isn't a guy-only thing. It's just how we look at it and work with it that might be distinct. But if we're not finding enough growth edges, then Mm -hmm. we get stale. And that's a place where, because we inherently know if we're coasting, and yet we have that conditioning that, you know, you can't say, hey, I'm coasting. Aren't I the shit? I'm just coasting and I love my life. It's fine. Everything's good. And inside, we're dying of stagnation. And so that's a thing that I think also can be busted up, is getting that... I think it would be better if we realized that staying the same too long is actually the sign, not so much of weakness, but certainly a sign of how fear is running us. And then to be able to replace that with going for, to go through whatever we're afraid, it is growth edge. And if we're so requiring an edge, is is that where where self-sabotage might come in? I think... I'll speak for myself that when I have avoided, like writing the book, that was an edge for me for about 25 years. And I finally had to push through it. So I'd say that the self-sabotage is definitely more likely when you have that knowing, you know, that knowing that any human being gets when you wake up at two in the morning and you're staring at a dark ceiling, whether you have a partner next to you or not. And, you know, you're either feeling anxious or you're kind of wondering, is this all there is? When you know that that's going on in you and in your relationship, by the way, and you keep avoiding it and wanting to put your head in the sand, that's self-sabotage. And so you, you mentioned your book a couple of times. So it's called Built to Last. It's called Built to Last, Designing and Maintaining a Loving, Passionate, and Lasting Relationship. Is there a, a, top, hmm, a top issue or stereotype to be aware of to make it easier to build a relationship that lasts? Yeah, the, 
the one I would say the most is that you could have a good relationship without consciously designing it and then building to the design. Well, it's, it's really like anything. You, if, if you have a vague goal, it's hard to reach. But if so, if you have a specific goal of the relationship you want, you're much better to, to achieve that. Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah. And, and what I'm saying, too, is that to be able to get clear what some of those goals or milestones might be, you really can consciously design a relationship. You can't always predict. I mean, you can never really predict what's going to happen. So it kind of goes without saying. And you know, some people say it goes without saying, and then they say it. So <laughs> there we go. It. You know, a lot of what attracts us and gets relationship ignited, there can be a lot of realness to it, but it isn't inherently enough because it wears off. So while you can't design, okay, when we've been together two years, we're going to do this and then that, but looking at designing the foundation of the relationship, understanding that as you go along, you know, our foundation, Sarah's and mine, 34 years ago, very different than it is now. But so it can evolve. It needs to evolve. But to really, there are many ways that I outline in the book um, that you can consciously design that foundation together. Then it becomes much easier to build it. You know, and that's, that's a lot of what I teach people how to do and help them do. Is how to do the design, then how to build it, and then how are you going to maintain it? And looking at a relationship as self-sustaining, by the way, there's another big stereotype. Mm-hmm. If we're good, it ought to just take care of itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a one-way trip to court. So, <laughs> so I would say that. Yeah. Right. And and based on everything we talked about before. Um, you, you can't do any of those steps. You can't design, you can't maintain you with, without being willing to feel. All parties involved. Right? It, well, exactly. I mean, including just feeling what's important to you, which involves the mind to a degree, but it's not exclusively mental. The things that we value, the things that we give our life for, there's a, I mean, I'll speak again for me, those things that I know for myself, I can feel them in my body. And, and that's another thing, too, now that I'm thinking about it, that can help break up some of these stereotypes. Men have a long, well, I'll say it this way. We have a lot of opportunity to get more embodied and in our body because our bodies are never going to lie. Our minds will lie till the cows come home, but the body can't. So at the risk of creating a stereotype, um, or maybe just one that's something about us, we are capable of going beyond thinking with the little head. And the way that we are able, one of the ways to get there more effectively and more quickly is to learn how to read our body. And to be able to do that in ways additional to sex and sports, those are the two things where we have automatic permission in our own mind to be in this thing. But 
a lot of us are just walking around, getting up in the morning, doing what we do and go to bed. And we don't even remember we have one of these. Right. Yeah. Being present, being grounded, all, all help all of us feel more and be more aware. Right. Yeah, exactly. I never, I never thought of. Oh, guys are grounded when they're having sex or playing sports. I'm like, oh yeah, because they don't. Have to, it's not a choice. It, it's natural, right? But it, but it's also natural to be grounded more than that. Uh, well, absolutely, and it it starts with grounding to this thing that we're in. Um, whatever way, you know, that's why I like meditation. Uh, meditation is my one sure thing time where my mind won't shut up, but I'm able to really be in this body and just include the you know, stuff that my mind is more than happy to keep dishing out. So there's a question that came up. If you could share an example of how you can read your body. Okay, so for example, I, you know, with people who are really just exploring that, to make it really, really simple, I talk about expansion and contraction, or put another way, light or heavy. So what I learned when I first was getting taught how to read my own body was if I'm in the flow, if I make a decision, for example, that is really the right decision that my body and spirit knows is right, then when I make it, my body relaxes. I notice that things get lighter. Mm. And when I'm, you know, cogitating and thinking and analyzing and trying to come up with at least three different scenarios that are going to guarantee that I'm not going to fuck up and make the wrong choice, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm tight. Mm-hmm. I feel, you know, my, my chest is tight. My belly has that feeling that we may remember from being kids when we had to go to the doctor. Like, oh, I'm going to get a shot. That kind of, you know, butterflies feeling. And if I'm really, really conflicted about a decision, then I go there to what I I imagine decision A, and I know this is something let's go. If it gets tighter... I'll check one more time because that could just be my mind knowing, no, that's actually really good, but Mm -hmm. it's just frightening. But if I test it a couple, three times by particularly honing in on my solar plexus, Mm -hmm. which Sarah, in case you may not know where that is, it's that area between our belly button and the bottom of our breastbone. I know that my body, when it's afraid, that whole area tightens up. And I also notice I'm not breathing very fully. So you can also tune into how fully are you breathing? How consciously are you even breathing? Right. Um, and then when I am moved by something or you're moved by something, tears may come. And your my chest gets hot and it feels like it's going to burst. So looking for heat, heavy, light, opening, closing, there's a really, really good beginning way to begin to get to know your body. That's awesome. Great question. Yeah. Cool. 
So, boy, we've been going for about 40 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is, is flying by. Um, so I just thank you very much, Jeff. And, and what's the best way for people to, to reach you? Um, a few good ways. One is you can go to my website, which is yourrelationshiparchitect.com. All kinds of free goodies on there. And uh, you also can email me at Jeff, which is G-E-O-F-F, not J-E-F-F. My mother was pretentious. Um, you can email me at Jeff at yourrelationshiparchitect.com. And I'm on Facebook, like, you know, two-thirds of the human race. And so if you go on the Facebook and type in your relationship architect hyphen Jeff Lawton, you'll find my page. And, you know, you're welcome to look around, comment, post, and um, stuff that I have going on, like this wonderful event. Um, it'll always be up there. Great. And also, no, no, um, Real Men Feel has a Facebook group as well. I'll share that link. I'd love to have you join us there. And Jeff is a member there, so you can uh, mm -hmm. give feedback on this show, ask questions, share ideas for what you'd like to see us talk about in future episodes. Um, but again, it's, it's a private group. It's a place where it may be a little bit easier to express how you feel, share your challenges, um, discover how to explore <laughs> with excitement <laughs> and navigate your own relationships, be, be they romantic or otherwise. Yeah, and you know, one thing, if I could just plug one other thing that's available for men, given that, you know, we're here to help men feel. If you are a guy and you're wanting to be more conscious, not assuming you're not, but if you want more, and if you've been used to doing the Lone Ranger bullshit, as I call it in my book, then one of the greatest things you could do for yourself is to try out an experiment with a men's circle. And there are a lot of them around in major areas, a little bit harder to find in smaller areas. So uh, I know that in Andy's area nearby, he runs a men's circle. And I have a men's circle that has men from all over the country. So if you want to learn more about what that could be like for you, whether it's with me or not, I'm not saying this to, okay, only me, but if you've watched this lab and me even talking about a men's group has made you pucker up at some level, I invite you to email me and reach out to just explore how that could really also open up your life and it will also open up your relationship. A relationship cannot be the only place where your stuff gets to get shared or worked out. Cool. And I just want to reinforce that for, for, for any guys that the, every time that I have authentically shared anything of myself, be it online, be it in a virtual group, be it in a physical group of men, it is met. Um, it's validated. It is rewarded. I have never shared anything to be met by the world that, ah, you're the only one that ever thought or felt that. It just has never been the case. So, so take that risk. Yeah. You know, uh, reach out to someone. And I have to add to that as well. It's, it's very much, it is the most validating experience that you can have is to actually share and to embrace your total humanity as a man, as a human being, more than anything else. Just embrace that completely and, and, and wholeheartedly. Absolutely. Yes. And to find a safe place to do that because, again, 
regardless of sexual orientation, females in a male's life, be he gay or straight, there's just things that a woman is never going to get. Mm-hmm. Yes. And like, so we all need, you know, I'm a major fan of women's fruits as well, is we got to have outlets where we get to keep it real, sometimes to dry run or work through your projections and your stuff so that you can go back to your partner and work through what is ready to be healed or evolved without all that projection because you gave it to your brothers or you gave it to your sisters in a women's group. And if it's the right group, you know, they help you see, you know, where you're, you know, full of it or where you're not, where you're projecting or where you're not. So just a, a, you know, shout out for circles of men or women that are committed to being awake and, you know, helping you be authentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks for that. Um, yeah. Thanks for everyone that joined us, asking questions, uh, viewing, sharing comments. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Apio. Um, We'll be back next Tuesday. We're going to have our first repeat guest. Uh, We have the angel encourager, Pete Casaboon, joining us again to talk about men and everyday spirituality. And and Jeff, I think we're going to have to have a nothing but swearing or you must swear in every sentence kind of show with you again in the future. I know one of the one of the topics we possibly we almost call this show, you know, don't be a pussy, just to to be that in your face and to get that crowd in here. And uh, I think we should go for that. Maybe. I think we should. I, I I'm in total agreement. All right, cool. Well, I really appreciate you guys having me, and I hope that I get to be a repeat guest sometime down the line. It's been really fun, and uh, if we have to keep it all blue, I can do that. And we can uh, keep it clean. But just thank you for inviting me and letting me have this wonderful experience of you two. Absolutely. And uh, thank you. It's a, it's a grateful blessing to have you here. And uh, just the, the power of Blab. We, we met through another person's Blab that put us together. And uh, we had one conversation. I knew you'd be great for the show. And, uh, and that was right. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Great. All right. So thanks again, everybody. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you in a week. See you guys and join later. us on Facebook and maybe wait a week. Yeah. <laughs> bye bye. See ya.